This podcast is produced by The Brand is Female. Say hello, my name is Shayla Stonechild, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement Podcast. I am speaking to you from the unceded Coast Salish territory of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh people, also known as Vancouver, BC. Every week on the show, I share stories of Indigenous women from Turtle Island and beyond to challenge the mainstream narrative around Indigenous identity and offer up a new category of role models so that the next generations may thrive. We'll put a spotlight on issues facing Indigenous women and explore how we reclaim our voice, our body, our power, and our spirit that have been silenced and stolen throughout history and humanity. If you like this podcast, don't forget to subscribe on the platform of your choice. Now, let's get to this week's conversation. Tanse, hello, and welcome to the Matriarch Movement podcast. I am super excited. I have with me today Jordan. I met her through her Indigenous Wellness series, and I actually taught a yoga class uh, through her program. Jordan is the founder and the organizer of Rising Hearts, which is an Indigenous-led grassroots group devoted to elevating Indigenous voices and promoting intersectional collaborative efforts across all movements with the goals of racial, social, climate, and economic justice. The primary focuses are to inform, elevate, mobilize, and organize through strategic and targeted targeted advocacy, establishing collaborative partnerships to help create a better and safer future and environment for all of our relatives who inhabit this planet, past, present, and future. She is also currently using her running platform to help raise awareness of missing and murdered Indigenous relatives by dedicating the miles she runs to a missing or murdered Indigenous person, which is the hashtag running for justice, and is now intersecting this effort and prayers for Black Lives Matter and calling an end to police brutality. She is among many Indigenous people working to elevate this crisis and to bring justice to the families and the victims. So without further ado, I welcome on Jordan. Hi, hi. Thank you, Jordan, for taking the time here today. If you just want to introduce yourself and the traditional territory from where you're from and currently on. Yeah, thank you so much for that introduction. Hi, everybody. My name is Jordan Marie Brings Through White Horses Daniel. I am Koichasha Lakota, citizen of Koichasha Oyate, the Lower Brule Indian Reservation in central South Dakota. So those are my homelands out in the prairie, but I currently live and work on occupied Tongva lands, which is also known as Los Angeles, California. Um, and just a little bit more, I'm, I serve on multiple roles of um, boards that are focused on um, climate justice, supporting our youth, um, and running organizations, as well as being a professional runner for ultra running, rabbit, and ultimate direction. Um, and then what many people don't really realize is that I also have a full-time job working as a project manager for UCLA. Um, that's the one that supports me and my little fur family and my partner here um, in our home. Um, and Rising Harsh is just something that, you know, I've been dedicated to doing for almost nearly five years and trying to get it to a place where I can hire people and have yeah, help. <laughs> totally. I know. I'm such a fan of all the work that you're doing. And I feel like our visions kind of align bringing Indigenous wellness and also bringing uh, awareness to issues that affect our communities, but through sport and through movement. So I'm interested to know, like, when did your journey really begin as a runner? How did that happen? In, in your life? 
Yeah, I started running when I was 10 years old. So I've been doing it for 23 years now. Um, my grandfather, Niall Brings through White Horses, he was, you know, an incredible runner in his day, competed with Billy Mills, who is the Native American who won the Olympic 10K gold medal um, at the Tokyo Olympics. Um, and, you know, they were friends and they were relatives and um, he was just an incredible competitor, but also just really loved running. And so I felt really awesome as a 10 year old to be able to have that chance to go running with my mm -hmm. role model and my idol and um, felt like I was part of, you know, this cool kids club because my mom was also a runner. She was training for the 88 Olympics. My great grandfather was a long distance runner. Um, and as, tr as hard as I tried to be a sprinter, cause I was like, who really wants to run long distances? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I just didn't have the leg turnover like my mom did. And I ended up inheriting the long distance genes. Um, so over my life through high school and in running in college and running professionally, definitely longer distances are something that I just really love enjoying being out on the trails, being out in nature and just being able to have a much deeper appreciation and connection to, you know, nature and my surroundings and those who have come before us and who were on mm -hmm. these lands before. So did you kind of grow up already with a connection? Um, like, so I get asked this question all the time. It's like, when did you decide to connect to your indigenous roots and your indigenous culture? And I'm like, well, I kind of like, you don't really, like you are indigenous, but yeah. was there a pivotal moment for you in your childhood when you began to recognize um, how you can connect with the land through running or just to your um, own roots? Yeah, I, I'm really grateful to at least have been raised with my community, my tribe. Um, you know, I basically grew up between my tribe and then in the town that we lived in like 30 miles away. So surrounded by ceremony, surrounded by relatives, mm -hmm. surrounded by the language and just everything that was part of that for the first nine years of my life. And then I ended up moving away and moving to the state of Maine, which was a big culture shock. Mm. Um, was the only kid of color for a, a while until I got into middle school. And that was my first time experiencing racism and mm. experienced a hate crime. And so that really kind of, um, I've always known I, I wanted to give back to my people. And, but having that experience of feeling like you're walking in two different worlds of your indigeneity of who you are and how you were raised and another world of the pressures of conforming to wanting to fit mm. in and to not stand out. Um, so navigating that at a young age, but it gave me a perspective of seeing the inequities that mm. our people go through and have gone through and being able to hear from relatives and stories and seeing firsthand experiences, you know, with our healthcare system, how we're mistreated, seeing the racism that existed in South Dakota when I never saw that when I lived there. But because mm. I had those experiences outside of it, I was able to recognize it after that. And it just was really heartbreaking to see our first peoples, you know, be treated this way and to be oppressed in, in these ways and that it was across the board from education to healthcare. And so eighth grade, that gave me the dream of, I want to move to DC and be a lobbyist or, you know, work on the Hill or be the Indian health service director. And that's kind of what set up my life was got to get to DC. And, you know, that did happen. And I had nearly five years there accomplished so much more than I really had ever intended, but that dream did happen. And, you know, my primary focus to always, always live out the, the way that this teaching was taught to me. Mm -hmm. We are all related, all my relations that 
Mm. Indigenous peoples care for each other. We care for our planet. We don't ever see ourselves above or below anyone or anything or live any living being that we are equal. And that, that also means I can also care for other people too, as well as advocating for my own, but also advocating for justice across the board. Um, and so that's kind of what led to this much bigger holistic picture of like intersectionality and how I can incorporate this while I'm still fighting for my people, but also really fighting for a better future for everybody. Um, and so that's how I was raised. That's how like my like mentality has always been. Um, and I'm just really grateful to be doing that work even to today. I'm curious to know how you stay committed to that vision, because I do realize you have worked with numerous brands and organizations that um, are pretty like white dominated their run. Um, I don't want to say they're colonial institutions, but like there there's not a lot of indigenous representation in these spaces. And so how do you stay committed to um, those teachings when you are in a colonial world or a colonial institution? Yeah, it definitely gets frustrating and it, it makes you begin to doubt yourself and almost want to give up. But it's literally the community that I've been able to cultivate and to be able to connect with that has always had my back and has always been those reminders to me when those struggles did happen and I was questioning things and it was getting tough or they're just like, look at what you're doing or look at who you are connected to. You know, we have your back and just feeling that support. But also it's my cousins, it's my nieces and nephews. It's the youth that really inspired me back in 2016, the Standing Rock youth who ran over 2000 miles to Washington DC to oppose the Dakota Access Pipeline. If it, if it hadn't have been for that experience where I got to organize an event for them to welcome them to those lands, and support what they're doing. I don't know if I would really be in this like community organizer role. I, mm. I may still be on track to be like that advocate or lobbyist, but that moment, that time in my life and the passing of my grandfather who was a big native youth supporter and was a track coach and a teacher. Um, if those things didn't kind of happen simultaneously, like I probably wouldn't maybe be here where I am right now. Um, because Rising Hearts was founded in that moment and community organizing being rooted in our community and making sure that we can build bridges together um, happen within that moment, which has led to present day. Um, so it's literally the youth is what keeps me going. It's the youth and hopefully, you know, my children and our next generations that keep me going. It keeps me motivated even when times get really hard. Yeah, I think that's so important is to realize like we are so much more than just ourselves when you have like a more objective view of how we're all connected and your intentions and your impacts also affect like the next generations. And so I'm curious, um, what would your advice be for like the younger generation who is interested in running but doesn't really know how to start or is interested in uh, being a part of community but also doesn't really know how to start? Yeah, for those that want to start with running, like either if you're in school if there is a running club like sign up for that and meet people who are either new to running or with it in there with it with you and can help you and support you in that way or just try practicing this is what a lot of people will ask me is like hey I, I want to do a 5k and I, but I'm not really a runner 
what can I, what's the easiest thing I can do? And usually the one thing I always offer is like, go outside and just go for a walk for 30 minutes. And then the next time you go out, maybe two days later, because you don't want to do everything right in a row all at once, then, you know, try walking for a minute, then running for a minute and just slowly working your way into it because you also don't want to, you know, cause harm to your body or um, p potentially get an injury. So you always want to start out slow. Um, but try going to places that are beautiful, that are maybe away from people, but also in a place where you feel safe um, and just be in your surroundings. And that's truly what running gives back to me is being able to have that sense of appreciation and connection to the environment, to, to the lands that I'm running on, the lands and the rocks and the roots that my feet feel when I'm running. Um, and so for those in the community organizing spaces that want to join, you know, it is really um, a little daunting and a little intimidating. Um, that's where I was because I never wanted to be a community organizer. I had friends that did it. I applauded them for their efforts. I saw how much work went into it, but I'm just like, I want to be behind the scenes. That's, that's, I'm shy. <laughs> I don't want to sit in front of a microphone or a soapbox or do anything like that. Um, but I think when you have something you truly believe in, something that you really deeply connect to that's worth fighting for, which was that moment, seeing our youth, seeing them use their voice in that powerful way, putting their body through 2,000 miles of running to stand for something is what inspired me to be like, Jordan, you're going to hold yourself accountable and you're going to make yourself uncomfortable. You're going to start organizing. You're going to start speaking out and using your voice. You're probably going to introduce yourself wrong or you're probably going to say the wrong things. But you have community who can help you. And I leaned on so many people to make sure I was doing land acknowledgments rights or make, making sure I was connecting to the right people and making sure I did the background research of the issues that I believed in, but making sure that I could actually speak to them confidently. And so it's just finding community, Google, find Facebook groups that are organizing on these efforts, find out how you can volunteer, find out other ways that you can support if it's not, you know, fiscally, what, what else can you do? If it's sharing content, if it's, you know, engaging in just respectful dialogue, just to ask questions, that really goes a long way. And that's really what helped me at the beginning of, of my community organizing career, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think it's so important what you touched on is like where you're going to get things wrong because you're usually trailblazing industries you've never seen yourself represented. And so for me, I was like, I don't really know who is also doing this, but I realize there's a community of support that people admire authenticity and they admire when you realize like, I don't know everything. And I like how you say um, you were behind the scenes, but I've realized you have uh, braced the cover of quite a few running magazines. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> of Trail Runner and um, Runner's World. And Runner's World was a really full circle moment. Um, I, when I had first moved to DC, someone shared with me this like competition to like submit your photo and your personal story to be on the cover. And so I submitted mine, Indian country got behind me. They're like, you know, get Jordan on the cover. Billy Mills and Running Strong for American Indian Youth were like supporting that effort and trying to get the votes in. Sadly, I didn't win, but like few years later, Runner's World contacts me after my Boston Marathon prayer run, and we really established a good working relationship that wasn't performative or exploitive, at least in my experience. 
Um, but I was really humbled and honored to be part of their program called Runner's World Ambassador Alliance, which is basically to really advocate and work on runner safety, especially coming as a, from a woman perspective, but also as a person of color perspective. Um, and so they put all of us, you know, four athletes that were part of this ambassador program to be on those covers together simultaneously. And it was just really awesome and beautiful that one, I tried competing in your competition X amount of years ago and you guys shut me down. Um, but now I'm like here in a much bigger way where it's not really about the cover. It's about the work and, you know, the new hopefully sidewalk that we're building for the next generations to come. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's so important to see people that look like you that have gone through what you have gone through on a cover and then can relate to your story and your upbringing. I'm curious to know, like, why do you think Indigenous representation is so important? Oh, my gosh, this is one of my favorite things I love talking about, especially with Indigenous people. But I feel like I'm always that constant squeaky wheel in non-Indigenous circles, especially in diversity, equity and inclusion conversations. It's because Indigenous peoples are constantly fighting our own erasure. It's because the stereotypes that exist out there, you know, portray a certain image or behavior about us that was chosen for us and not by us um, and being able to have a seat at the table to have our voices heard to have our opinions heard respected and to have them matter in some of these processes um, and so representation matters so much whether it's from storytelling through filmmaking um, you know that way we don't have harmful story narratives or you know, perpetual violent cycles or, um, you know, harmful and sensitive racist language being perpetuated about us in the film world. Um, you know, we don't need another story like Pocahontas. Um, that's... <laughs> I know, I know. I'm like, I've been called it so many times. It just, it, every time I hear that word, it just makes me cringe um, each time. And also, though, I realize the emotional labor that are attached to these stereotypes when it is like you're an Indigenous person. For me, I don't want to have to keep educating and I kind of get burnt out. It's like a lot of free emotional labor. And so I'm curious to know if you have had the same experiences um, and how you deal with uh, all this emotional labor. It gets to be so much and it's so overwhelming and very stressful. And I feel like I'm a broken record a lot of the time. Um, I mean, it, it depends. I love engaging with the people that support me. I, I hate mm -hmm. using the word followers on Instagram because that's my mm -hmm. biggest platform that I have. Um, but I love having conversations with them. And I kind of set the standards and boundaries of this is how my you know, public page is going to be. And if you have questions, and especially if I'm like advocating to follow, get people to follow and support these other incredible voices, I'm just like, one, don't just drop into their DMs and just demand their emotional labor. Be ready to ask for their Venmo so you can pay them mm -hmm. and compensate mm -hmm. them for their time and their voice. But there is also a respectful way to engage with us. Don't just like demand that we tell you these things. There is a certain way that you can ask it of us and that it's respectful and you're not going to set us off or trigger us. Um, and yeah, but like it does really get sometimes annoying, especially from people who just really want fast answers and just don't really appreciate the time that goes into it. Um, but yeah, it, it comes down to stereotypes and all of these narratives that were created for us, you know, really normalizing racism for us, really normalizing, you know, what 
we're going through when we were never part of those discussions to mm -hmm. dictate how we want to be portrayed. And a lot of the textbooks are inaccurate, so we need to have better curriculum, school curriculum that has indigenous authors or indigenous teachers, indigenous guest speakers part of that curriculum. Um, and it comes down to, you know, just, uh, it just means more, we need to have more infrastructure that can better support indigenous people. POC communities, marginalized communities, to have these opportunities um, because we have been here since before colonization. And, you know, we do exist after 1900. I feel like a lot of the time we're kind of just depicted as these like long ago type people that don't exist anymore. As I found out on the Hill, a congressional member was like, Do you guys live all, all live in teepees? And then then he didn't know that he had indigenous people in his state. And it just comes down to being insensitive, being ignorant, being racist, or you just don't know. And um, that's just all part of the work of trying to inform the population, which can get exhausting. I, I was reading your website actually, and it was like, um, if you want to be a part of this community, these are some of the steps that you have to do. These are some of the actions. And I really like the one that you put, and it was like, give a land acknowledgement. I get asked that so often to give a land acknowledgement on unceded Coast Salish territory, and I'm not even from here. So I'm like, it's not even my place to be giving a land acknowledgement, but I'm curious to know if there's any other steps that you would um, offer or just a piece of advice for non-Indigenous people wanting to support indigenous people yeah my biggest thing would be to get involved become a friend and an ally or a co-conspirator with our communities and help do the work with us or get to a place where you can carry some of that responsibility and emotional burden that is constantly always on our shoulders um, to maybe lighten the load for us because we I would say every indigenous person I know within these spaces are spreading ourselves thin, taking on so much, trying to do so much, trying to co-create so much. Um, and so it would be great to have allyship, true meaningful allyship part of that process. Um, I would also suggest, you know, if you have, you know, the financial ability to give, support that individual's voice and their work or support the organizations that are doing this work and then if you are someone who has connections um, in a certain kind of privilege, share that, share those resources. Because sometimes for us, it takes forever for us to get a response sometimes when we're trying to like make this certain kind of connection to support this specific effort. And if you are someone that is like very well connected and in a great network, share that resource and help plug us in because that's also gonna help center and elevate the voices that are always often left out of those conversations. Um, and then I would also say too, like, take it a step further, learn the lands that you're on, learn how to give a land acknowledgement, include it in your running posts, especially. And that's why I created Running on Native Lands is to inspire not just runners to learn where they're running on and to how to give back through a land acknowledgement with respect and honor, but taking it a step further by doing more because they have to commit to more than that just one ask and getting race event directors to start doing land acknowledgements and working with tribal nations or native organizations um, that are local to where that race or event is happening and being able to donate 
comped entries or being able to donate a certain amount of um, the funds raised through those registrations or being able to donate all of the food and stuff to a, a specific program, a wellness program or a homeless mm -hmm. shelter, or safe shelter. There are, are endless steps that I created so that are like <laughs> the easiest things to do. And I'm just like really happy because right now I've had over, I think, 15 meetings with like pretty big companies in the running world, um, you know, that want to do this, that we're saying, oh, this is something we've been wanting to do. We just didn't know who to contact or how to go about this. And this toolkit that you created literally outlines what we can do. But to also not always rely on technology because the native land app, the, the phone number you text can get it wrong. So yeah. Google. Google, Google, Google. Yeah, and even Google sometimes. Like, I know you Google the word powwow, and it has, like, the complete wrong definition. I'm like, this is not correct. Uh, but I love – thank you so much for all the steps you um, have given. And speaking of donations, uh, I know you're doing a lot of work right now with the Indigenous Wellness Series, and I'm wondering what does that look like for 2021, and how can people support you there? Yeah, so <laughs> – Indigenous Wellness Through Movement was supposed to be, let's celebrate Indigenous People's Day weekend with four teachers over four days. And then the response that came in after that, like it, they were very well attended, had some great teachers, great to learn from someone who looks like me and comes from our communities. But the response that came in after that, coming from so many, even non-Indigenous people, non-POC people saying like, that was truly an incredible perspective that you do not get in a typical yoga studio or in a typical hit workout or, or whatever. Um, and be, and then others were saying it was so great to learn from another indigenous teacher and to being able to share in that virtual space with them in this way. So then I was like, I guess I'll try and continue this. So I'm literally building a, a, a sidewalk as I'm walking on it. And me, I'm very type A, very organized. I like to plan things out before I execute it. <laughs> and yeah. so I felt very like discombobulated during this whole process. And so then November came and uh, Native American Alaska Native Heritage Month. And I'm just like, okay, let's get teachers throughout the whole month and celebrate this. Maybe that'll be that. And then Everyone was like, you got to do more. And so I was like, okay, I guess I'll go through December. And then now we're in March and we have 19 classes, the most classes we've ever had um, for this month. And it's growing and we're getting new teachers coming from different backgrounds mm. and communities. Um, but it's been really incredible. And we've redeveloped, we've redesigned the website to create new graphics, to create a single theme. We want to make sure that at first it was we were promoting the teachers venmo or the paypal to get donations funneled to them um, now we've uh, transitioned to people signing up where they can select a donation amount but they also can select the free option because that's the most important thing to me is making sure that it's accessible and you know everyone can participate um, so now we're starting to get like donations for the classes coming in and being able to compensate the teachers um, and yeah, it's just, it's, it's growing. Uh, I think for January, we had over 2000 registrants and 14 different countries. Um, just on Monday, when I hosted the eat and greet to kick off the month, um, we had 20 people in that class, which I wanted it to only be 20 to 30. Um, mm -hmm. But we had someone from Germany who stayed up until awesome. two, three in the morning to join oh. in on that class. <laughs> That's um, awesome. So we're definitely growing. And one thing I really want people to know is that, 
you know, wellness isn't just movement. Wellness is also being able to be part of community, to be able to um, meet new people, especially now that we're in a pandemic and a lot of things are kind of taken away from us. Um, so I wanted to create this virtual community that can bring us together, something to look forward to, something to also focus on our own health and wellness and practice self-care and self-love, but to also get holistic indigenous perspectives and teachings through these movements. And, um, you know, we've had beadwork classes, we've had dance classes, we've had safety training classes. And so I also want to expand beyond what one would think wellness is. They tend to typically think like, yoga, Pilates. Um, and so we're just trying to make sure we're kind of encapsulating a bigger picture of what wellness can look like. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, I'm really excited for it. We just offered um, a monthly membership um, option. So people will get all access to all of the links rather than the single registration. They'll get an indigenous wellness tank top, a water bottle and some swag. And then we also have scholarships available. Um, for those needing a yoga mat, they can submit the scholarship application form. And so far, I think we've sent over 15 now so far in just the last month to those needing it. Um, and then we also have a scholarship form for the men membership option too, because like I said, I want it to be accessible and I want people to really benefit from these classes. So um, yeah, we, ha we wanna make sure that this is as inclusive as possible. Yeah, no, it's amazing work. Like every day I feel like you're posting something new and I, I'm always like, how do you remain so um, <laughs> rooted and like don't burn yourself out? So do you have daily rituals that you do in your everyday life to commit yourself to your own wellness? Yeah, it's one running, but also I, I, I wanted to continue this program as a way to hold myself accountable and being able to practice self-care and to practice new forms of movement that's not just running or rock climbing or hiking. I, I've been seeking therapy for over a year now, and right now we're going to be moving into trauma therapy, which is going to be really tough. Um, don't really know what to expect, but I wanted to hold myself accountable and being able to participate in these classes too. Um, mm. because I've been practicing a lot more yoga than I ever have in my life. And it's just something that really helps me with anxiety. It's helped me, um, you know, with running too in my form mm. and being able to recover and to focus on stretching in certain parts of your body. Um, and so those are just some of the things that I do. And obviously spending time with my partner helps and us spending time with our little fur babies, our two cats, MJ and Oreo. Um, and then just, you know, the casual binging um, on Netflix or, or whatever we're watching. Like, what's your current favorite show? Oh, my gosh. Um, <laughs> uh, we, I mean, we just binge watch Stranger Things. I know I'm like five years late to this show. Um, it was but a we good literally, <laughs> We literally watched it in like a week, all, all, all seasons. And now we're watching The Servant on mm -hmm. iTunes, which is really crazy. I need to up my Netflix game. I've not been binging anything lately. Uh, so there's this concept of like indigenous futurism. And so you touched on a little bit of what you hope for uh, Rising Hearts and how you see the future going. But what does indigenous futurism uh, mean to you? I think it's us being able to be in those leadership roles and to be seen again as the caretakers of these lands, you know, like... I think it's up to 80% of indigenous peoples and communities across the world are, have been the caretakers of our biodiversity. And I think people are starting to recognize 
the way we've cared for the lands, how we work with the lands has benefited our communities over time. Um, example would be cultural burns or what colonial society would call controlled or prescribed burning. Um, but that's something that we've been doing for thousands of years. Um, but I think us just being in those leadership roles and to be able mm -hmm. to also bring back land to mm. our people. And that's what I really love about Indian Collective with our land back campaign is returning mm -hmm. indigenous lands back into our own hands and mm -hmm. um, being able to exercise our own sovereignty um, of how we care for them. Yeah, um, I think indigenous futurism is also reclaiming traditional values and ways of life that we have already been living. It just got kind of taken and distorted. I'm curious to know, what does the word matriarch mean to you? Um, yeah, what does the word matriarch mean to you? It means strength. I feel like all the matriarchs in my life are such incredible incredible women, incredible women of sisterhood, of motherhood. Um, they just embody this certain kind of strength that I I really don't, I've never seen except with indigenous communities. And I don't know if it's just that deep resilience that I see in all of us and in the communities that I've been able to visit and in the circles that I'm part of, but there's just that strength and resilience that's there that no matter how hard things get, we persevere and we push through and it's always looking ahead to the next seven generations of what can we be doing to create a better mm -hmm. future for them? Who are you currently inspired by? Oh, man. I have so many. <laughs> I know. Okay. I would obviously definitely say my mom. You know, mm -hmm. being 18 and having a kid, you know, putting herself through nursing school to now being an incredible nurse and being the COVID unit nurse and constantly worried about her and her safety. But luckily, she's vaccinated and... Um, you know, just caring for, for the people, I think, is just absolutely incredible and something that I've learned from her. I would say I really look up to Danae Doremi, who is a Danae runner. She is just creating now her own podcast and doing incredible things. And then I would also say you. I've, I've been doing more research about you and, like, visiting the Lululemon website and seeing your face and the, your stretches and everything that you're doing. And these are all the things that I wanted to see, you know, when I was a teenager, when I was a little kid. And I'm so, I feel like I'm starting to see it more and more. And it just makes me so happy. And so I'm really happy that you're doing this podcast. And I'm excited to hear who else you're going to be featuring and elevating. So I appreciate all the work you're doing. Thank you. Hi, hi. I mean, it's uh, right back at you. Like, I'm constantly inspired by this stuff. We actually have not met in person yet. I know. But one day I will go to L.A. And I have to say my running is not the best. <laughs> so you're going to have to give me some pointers. <laughs> of course. Of course. And we also don't have to run. <laughs> True. I'm, I'm like, I just feel like I have to. Because <laughs> um, you always go into nature, too. And you, it looks really beautiful. And it is connecting back to the land. I'm so for the next little bit in 2021 what is on your horizon the horizon is to just get more support for rising hearts you know I'm also applying for a couple of grants to get some funding but the biggest goal is to just hire help um it's just me doing it and Especially in this last year, I've really transitioned Rising Hearts to be focused on more program work um, in community 
we're still doing community organizing and plan to do it when things are more safe and we can be in person. Um, but it just felt like this was a perfect time to be creative and figure out what kind of programs we can develop. So I would love, you know, to maybe pay myself for Rising Hearts. Right now, it's everything's out of pocket. Luckily, I can reimburse myself for some, some of the fundraising that we have done. But um, right now, it's just being able to support and pay our teachers, you know, even better rates than we can right now. It's being able to hire a program manager or a program assistant or executive assistant to just handle just the program management of it all and maybe a web person to help update everything or to create the graphics because I am yeah. not a graphics person. <laughs> I have to give appreciation to my partner who has been working on the back end of my website for Rising Hearts and helping me with the graphics and stuff. But yeah, I would just love to be able to hire people to be part of Rising Hearts because it's been me for so long and I, I want to share in this with someone and um, also be able to support someone too financially. I, I'm in the same boat. I feel this completely <laughs> the same way. The matriarch movement, I'm like, hey, I need to relinquish control. I need to like pass down the torch too. Like, I feel like that's good. That's like one of my biggest goals is to hire more indigenous people um, and be able to pay them what they're worth essentially, right? Uh, so how can people find you, support your work, um, any handles, any donations? How can people support you? Yeah, people can definitely learn more about Rising Hearts at www.risinghearts.org. Um, that's where you're going to find all of our programs in there. And we're still continuing to build out the site. And we're going to be actually launching a shop, the Heartwork Exchange, where you can purchase Rising Hearts product. But it's also going to be a place where we also want to elevate and feature other indigenous and POC artwork or jewelry or anything that people can support individually and locally. Um, and so you can find that there. You can go to my personal website, www.jordanmariedaniel.com. Um, there are submission forms in there if you want to get in contact with me and to collaborate or ask any questions. There are a variety of checkboxes you can select. Um, and then on Instagram, it's at native in underscore LA and then at rising underscore hearts. And that's how you can find us. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Jordan, for taking the time out of your day. And I'm looking forward to being a part of your community. Hopefully come back on your uh, wellness through movement series at some yes, point. Too. Yes, I'm building out the calendar for April. So please, okay, if you sweet. want, come come back for <laughs> April. Awesome. Did you have any other uh, final notes or anything else you wanted to wrap up with today? Yeah, I just want to say Lila Palamayaye, thank you so much for, for having me and inviting me into this space with you. Um, and one thing I always really like to end on is that, you know, I, I've worked really hard for where I am and I don't take that for granted. And I know the place that I have is, comes with a lot of privilege and a lot mm -hmm. of opportunity. But what's important for me is to be able to give back to our communities and to share mm -hmm. in these resources. And so anyone out there, just know that it can just be you doing mm -hmm. this work and starting it by yourself or in, in, in that work can lead to you inspiring one person or hundreds. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't matter the numbers. It's just a matters mm -hmm. the impact that you believe in. The things that you believe in and stand for can make such a difference in our world and can create that ripple effect of change, of inspiration, 
um, you know, that I think our world needs in, in part of healing and, and for justice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you never know who you're inspiring. I mean, yeah, n- don't look at the numbers. Don't look at the followers. It's like if you can have one interaction with a person a day, have a heartfelt communication, you never know how you're affecting that person's life. So thank you for sharing. Yeah, of course. Awesome. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and I would love your feedback. Follow me on Instagram at Shayla0h at matriarch.movement. And don't forget to subscribe on the pod platform of your choice and review and rate where possible. I'll be back in a week. Hi, hi. Thank you so much for tuning in.